One of the hazards of preaching through a book in the Bible is that some of the topics that that you deal with might lead people to think that you know, you're preaching that there's a, you're preaching about that issue. That didn't come out good. Let's try this again. Um, for the longest times, when I would when I would preach on Sundays, you'd start at the beginning of the week, Lord, what do you want me to pray, preach about? What do you want me to preach about? What do you preach about? And then you'd come up with the topic, and then you'd study, and then you'd do your thing. And the problem with that, when you do that, is that you get things on your mind. You know, maybe two or three people in the church got a little wonky, a little something's on their minds, and, that, and that's what sticks in your head. And so you start preaching the same kind of sermon week after week, and, and it doesn't do anybody a whole lot of good. When you preach through books in the Bible, you're getting the full counsel of God, you're starting to understand different things, okay? So what's going on in this book is very applicable to us, but I'm not, I didn't pick this because, well, you got trouble in the church and we need to deal with it. No, it's, they had trouble in the church and then that's what we're talking about. So don't go to places that we don't need to go. Everything's fine, more or less. So I mean, we are a Baptist church, and y'all know what we said in seminary. I've repeated it to you a thousand times. Wherever two or three are gathered in, uh, wherever two or three Baptists are gathered in my name, there'll be a fight. We know that. We understand that. That's the way life operates. That's kind of what I think the Philippian church may have been a Baptist church because they've been together for 10 years, and now they're starting to have some friction, some growing pain, some things are going on in there. And Paul is addressing those things in the book of Philippi. Very appropriate to right now. I don't know if uh, any of you have, have seen any of the articles from the Houston Chronicle, if you have seen any of the things that have been published on Twitter that's coming out across the Southern Baptist Convention, but some articles were written that talked about sexual abuse that's occurred in Southern Baptist churches over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, the articles are well-researched. It is, it is not gotcha journalism. It is clear from the way they write it that they don't understand Baptist polity, but at the same time, the facts they lay out are truth. We've got, we've got issues that we've got to deal with. There are things that have gone on that shouldn't have gone on that we should be ashamed of. Paul really is dealing with these kind of issues here, telling us how to avoid them and how how to come to church ready to worship, really, when you get down to it, when we understand what Christ has done for us and what he did in order to get to this point, it really brings out something new in us. So um, we, 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 let's just dig into it. Go to Philippians chapter two. I'm sorry, Neva. Philippians chapter two, verses three through 11. Do you want my jacket? Because I know you're cold. That's, No. I just, it's really uncomfortable this morning, and we've got too much to talk about. Now listen to me as you're looking that up, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to begin with verse 3. Last week we had said that we were going to go through verse 4, but I only made it through verse 2, and you can't understand the next verses without getting 3 and 4, so we're going to deal with those. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, uh, and before we go down that road, I just want you to know this is... This is the Christ hymn, and uh, something's tangled, sorry. This is the Christ hymn, and as I sat and pondered this, and I talked to the staff about it when we, a little while back, mentioned to some of them that um, 
this is this is so um, holy. This is such a portrait of Christ that uh, that it's that, that you're almost afraid to talk about it. Uh, you're almost afraid to do. Of course, it's not going to stop me, right? But you're almost afraid to do more than just read it because of what Paul tells us in this, in this scripture. This is one of the earliest hymns that were ever written in the church. We uh, have lost the music to antiquity, but the words are still here. And they're very powerful words. So everything that we've done this morning is, was to fit right in here with these words. So y'all listen. It's for, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Father, I pray this morning that nothing we do, nothing I do, will get in the way of this message penetrating our hearts. I pray, Lord, as the Holy Spirit has used this scripture for thousands of years to touch people everywhere it was read, that the same thing will happen and that we will be able to see the sacrifice that Jesus made in a new light. That those of us who are grizzled old Christians that have been this way our whole life, can walk out this morning going, that's right. That's what he did for me. That's who he is. And oh, how he loves me so. Please, Father, help us to see that and to hear that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you're a parent, you can tell a child something till the cows come home and they're just going to hear it. And basically what they hear is wah, 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 Charlie Brown's mama or teacher on, on Charlie Brown when you saw the Charlie Brown cartoons. Wonk, 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 wonk. They're not paying any attention to you. Paul knows that when he says what he says here. So he builds an argument. He builds a case to get us to a certain place. And when he gets us to that place, he really nails us and he nails us down pretty tightly. He starts back in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, by saying, okay, guys, have the same mind, the same love, the same spirit, and the same purpose. You can hear what he's saying. He's saying, okay, you guys are bickering. You, you've all got your little things that you're going on to now and you're talking about. Stop that. You need to have the same mind, the same heart, the same spirit, the same purpose. But you know that when you, you have a ball team, and I do know that Clemson was the national champions, okay? I know I, kept saying, I know I kept saying Alabama last week, but in my mind, Alabama wins everything all the time, so I just kind of stuck with Alabama. It's an obsession, I'm sorry. But when you have a championship team, you can't just tell the team, okay, guys, be unified, y'all go play. There's a whole lot that goes into that. There's a whole lot that goes into that. Paul understands that just by telling them, okay, y'all guys, we're all on one team. Let's break, go, here we go. 
He's got to build a point. He's got to help them see how to do that. And so he starts out by saying, do not out of selfish ambition or conceit. Now, y'all remember that Paul's in prison. He is stuck in prison. He can only talk to who he can talk to. He can't talk to, he can't talk to the crowds that he used to. He can't go to the places that he used to could go. And there are people that do this in every, everywhere you go. There are people that do this kind of thing that when somebody trips up, falls, gets stuck, they put on the designated, on the uh, disabled list, that they see that as their opportunity to become somebody. That they are going to take this moment and get what is rightfully theirs. That they're going to take this moment and they're going to be the one because see, Paul should have never been there in the first place. It should have always been me. Paul is pretty good, but I'm better, and I don't know why he's up there. It ought to be me, and that's the attitude they had, and they were going to get out there, and they're going to preach, and they're going to become somebody. They don't care about the team. The church is the least of their worries. Their goal is to be somebody, and they'll do whatever they need to do by hook or crook to be somebody, and Paul says don't be that way. Don't be that way. Now, in the church, you have people that do that. You do. But now let's, let's, let's make this thing broad. We were in the band for nine years. Jones County High School were in the band for nine years. Not just one child for nine years. It was multiple children. It, you know, we, we did pretty good. We didn't, yeah, anyway. So we had nine years we were in the band. I can guarantee you as a part of the band boosters, there were always those families. Cub Scouts, I can guarantee you, I hadn't talked to Joe about it, don't know, but I can guarantee you there's always somebody that's got something to say about what's going on. If you're in education, you're in school, I guarantee that there is somebody that you can go to a meeting and you'll say, when you see them walk in the room, you go, mm-hmm, there they are. Yep, we know what they're going to do. We know. We know that there are those people everywhere you go. So this sort of applies across the board. What he is saying here is, if, if you want something so badly, listen, if you want something so badly that you don't care who you're going to hurt, you don't care what you've got to do, you don't care what line you've got to cross, that's selfish ambition. Now you think about yourself for a second. Think about yourself and your career, everywhere else you are, you think about that. If you want something so badly, you don't care if it hurts your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, you don't care. You want it so badly, you don't care what you've got to do. You'll do anything to do it. You don't care what line you've got to cross. There are no lines because I am going to get this. That is selfish ambition. And listen, people like that aren't mean people. They don't have to be mean and ugly people. You may have met, I have met them. I suspect y'all have too, that I'm not the only one in the world that's met people like this, that when you meet them, they're nice, they're kind, they're friendly, they carry on a conversation. It's like y'all are getting along, everything's cool, but as you walk away from them, you know that if you get in their way, they will rip your heart out. They don't care about you, they have something that they want to get, and you are a means to an end. You ever met anybody like that? Lord knows I have. In the corporate world, they're everywhere you go. Have to watch what you say, watch what you do, because everybody's trying to get somewhere. And if we want something so badly, we don't care who we're going to hurt. We don't care what we've got to do. We don't care what line we've got to cross. That's selfish ambition. And ladies and gentlemen, we do that in the church. 
We get on our mind that this has got to be this way, it's got to be that way, my way or the highway, don't care about anything else. This is the way this is going to go. That's what Paul's talking about. Selfish ambition. The other word here is conceit. If you're reading out of the King James, I like the way the King James uh, renders that better because it uses the phrase vainglory. Vainglory. That's glory that's in vain. You are a legend in your own mind. Y'all have met them, right? Walk into the room and they're always talking. They've always got the answer. They always know what's going on. They're the one that always, and you're sitting there going, could you please just hush? But they don't. They just keep going. It's vain glory. It's glory that is not real glory. It's not theirs to have, and yet they heap it on themselves. He's saying don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Humility. Guys, we have a lot of trouble with the humility word. Number one, I don't know anybody's humble anymore hardly. I mean, you watch the, our leadership. There is no humble leadership. You don't get to be a leader in America by being humble anymore. You've got to toot your own horn all the time. Humility does not mean that you're a weenie. I said weenie, so I want to see a reaction on your face. Doesn't mean that you're a weenie. Doesn't mean that you're... Eh. C.S. Lewis defines humility better than I ever could. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He is from England, by the way, and I use the word chap in there. You know, he's talking about a chap, so it's, he's from England. That's why it says that. Listen, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will not be a sort of greasy, no, let me back up. I missed a line. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, I am nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. And if you do not dislike him, I mean, if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anybody who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking of himself at all. Ooh, I found a little conviction in that one. He will not be thinking of himself at all. Verse 5 says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind of humility. This mind of humility is yours to have in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, we've, we said it earlier, we are, and, and, and I've said it earlier, that he is our brother. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. He is our brother, and our brother has gone before us, and he chose humility. And because you are, if you are a Christian, you are a member of the body of Christ, that humility is yours to have. You can't say, well, I just can't master it. I just can't do it. It's too hard. Well, we may not get it right once or twice, three, ten, a thousand times, but we keep coming back to it because it is ours in Christ. And Paul is telling us here to to be unified in our imitation of our big brother. That we are to imitate Christ. This is, this is, he says, have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, what did Jesus do? What did he do? Now, here, now listen, y'all. Mm, 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 mm. You can go to sleep right now, and you can walk out of here knowing the same thing you've always known. I don't know why I had Mr. T go through my mind. <laughs> the thought went through my mind, a pity fool. If you do that, I'm sorry. Don't do that. Because as I studied this, I got to a point where I leaned back in my chair and went, whoa, I'd never thought about that. I'd never thought about that. I'd heard it, but I didn't hang on to it. And it was one of those things that makes you stop for a minute and realize, Jesus did more for me than what I've given him credit for. We're looking for that moment. So y'all hang on. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We got to do some technical stuff. So y'all stick with me so that we can understand this. He says, who, though he was in the form of God. That makes you think, well, he was kind of like God. But no, that word form means that he was of the nature and essence of God. I'm not going to explain the Trinity to you because I don't have it in my head to do that. God is too large and I can't get the whole thing. This is what I know. Father, Son, and Spirit, same nature, same essence, three personalities, one individual being. He was in the beginning, in the form God, he was nature and essence God. It's who he was. So what the scripture says that he was, even though he was in the form of God, Jesus was never created. There were people that have postulated that he was. He was not created. There was never a moment when Jesus wasn't. Jesus has always been. Ah. Jesus has always been. Now, this is a stumbling block for some folks. Maybe it's not for you, but I want to address this real quick. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but maybe some of you haven't. Some of you aren't Christ followers. I want you to think about this. Think about the arguments that you make. So, and it's a logical argument. It's not a religious argument. It's a logical argument. I want you to think about this. Jesus was pre-existent. That means that before anything that was, was, he was. He's always been. God always has been. Well, where did God come from? The question you ask. Because if he's always been, there was no from. He just always was. Well, Randy, that sounds like a cop-out answer. I can't go with a cop-out answer. Let me ask you this question. If he, if he was not, if there is no God, if there was no God, that means that everything you see has always been. Do you understand? Things just don't poof out of nowhere. That means rocks, dirt, air, water, all of those things have always been. So for you to say that I can't believe in something if I don't know where it comes from means that you can't believe in rocks because we don't know where they come from unless you believe like I do. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was here in the beginning, preexistent. Jesus has always been here. Paul accepts that premise that he has always been. Jesus has always been. And what he says to us is that who in the form of, form of God, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, here's where the humility part starts to come into action. See, Jesus had every right in the world. Listen, y'all listen. 
Jesus had every right in the world. He had every right in the world to stay just where he was. He was in the perfect place. How does it get better? He, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, enjoying the glory of being God, enjoying that glory forever. He had no reason to leave that. He was comfortable. Life was good. No reason to leave that. Why would you leave that? And yet the scripture says that Jesus looked at us and saw who we were and what had happened to us. And it says that he emptied himself out looking for the interests of others. He emptied himself out by taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, y'all stick with me. Don't go away. Stay here, all right? He was in the form of God, right? Nature and essence of God. Y'all understand what I said, right? We're all there. Now it says that he's in the form of man, which means he has the nature and essence of man. He has both. He didn't quit being God and become us. He was God, is God, and came down and became us as well. How does that work? I don't know. All I know is it worked. Holy God, holy man. But now, Here's the kick in the head. Now, y'all listen to me. If you, if you go back to sleep, that's fine after this. But you got to hear this. You got to hear this. See, this is what I always thought, and it's wrong. See, I had this idea that, that when Jesus came to earth, he came to earth, born of a virgin. Y'all know the drill, Bethlehem. We sing the hymns, every, we sing the, the Christmas carols every year. We do all the stuff, you know, the big deal that we always make out of Christmas. He did all that. He came to earth, did all the stuff that he did, died, buried, resurrected. That when he went to heaven, that he stripped off his earth suit. He sat down beside God on a throne and he sort of went, Phew, thank goodness that's over. Man, that was a mess. And he assumed his former position. He didn't do that. See, here's the killer, and this is what I want you to understand. This is what makes the difference. When Jesus emptied himself of his glory, it was a permanent thing. When he became holy God and holy man, that was a permanent thing. He never went back to the former position. That's why the scripture says that God exalted him to heaven. So that the name of, and gave him a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee would bow everywhere. Because you see, he didn't just come to die for your sins. This is the killer part of it. He gave up. He gave up the glory of that place that he was, that, that why would you leave? But he gave that up forever when we go to heaven we are going to see Jesus with scars in his hands and scars in his feet he will be the one to welcome us home that that is what he has done for us it's more than just the story of dying on a cross he emptied himself out he thought more of you than he thought of himself he thought more of you than he thought of the comforts of heaven he thought more of you than he thought of the glories that he was experiencing he said I am sacrificing my world for you 
Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, he humbled himself, okay, and then he obeyed. Now, now, let's talk about obeyed for a second because we have the wrong idea. Obeyed. Obeyed means, okay, all of you people that have had children before. Obey means, I told you to jump, jump. And the kid, that's obeyed, right? Right? That's what they're supposed to do, right? What they mostly do is, I told you, and they go, what? We all understand that. But we think obey in terms of, here are the rules, then you must do these things. The word here, obey, is nuanced completely differently. And what this word means is this. Listen, listen. This is what we're supposed to do as Christians, all right? This word means, obey means to listen attentively and then do what you hear. Understand? See the difference. It's not a list of rules. He says, listen attentively and then do what you hear. Y'all want the perfect illustration? This is the perfect illustration. Can't get better than this one. Anybody ever been camping before? Y'all been camping? You know, nod your heads up and down. Yeah, we've, we've been camping before. Y'all know that when you first go to bed when you're camping. Now, if you are in a luxury motorhome, this may not be your experience. I was in a tent that had that little thin piece of stuff between me and the great outdoors. And as I'm laying in that tent, when I first go to bed, it is show enough noisy outside, isn't it? You go camping in the summertime, and I mean all the little bugs and all the little critters are making all of their noises, and it is show enough loud. I mean almost so loud sometimes that you can't go to sleep. you just lay in there waiting for them to finally shut up so it'll get quiet enough so you go to sleep. But if you wait till like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning when the temperature drops a little bit, all those little boogers get quiet, and it gets very, very quiet, and it gets very, very still. That's what time it was when this story happened, okay? It's very, very late. Everybody's very, very tired. It is very, very still. Then you hear this. Then they, Jesus and his disciples, came to a place named Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little further, fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, what I will, but what you will. He went back to the disciples. They had fallen asleep. He woke them up and said, guys, can't you see my heart's breaking? Can y'all pray for me just for an hour? And he went back and he prayed the same prayer again. Comes back to the disciples. They've fallen asleep again. Of course, it's 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. It's quiet. They're tired. He says, guys, can't you see my heart is breaking? Pray for yourselves. Pray for me. And he goes back out and he prays one more time. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will and he listened, and he came back, 
and they were asleep again, but it didn't matter because he listened attentively and he heard, and so he did. That night he was arrested. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was bloodied, bruised, naked, covered in filth, and he was nailed to a cross. And on that cross, hanging against the sky, my sins and your sins were poured out on him. And it was such a horrible burden that he had. You remember when, when God was in the, in the, in the um, garden with Adam that he said, don't eat of this tree or you will surely die. And Jesus is hanging on the cross and that death of each one of us is being poured out on Jesus and the burden was so huge that for the first time in eternity, Jesus felt like he could not hear his father's voice. And he died. And they buried him permanently. They put him in a tomb, rolled a stone over the door and sealed it so that no one could ever open it again. And for three days he laid in that tomb until the father on the third day of his burial, the father had had enough and he reached into the tomb and he raised Jesus back to life. And Paul says, for this reason, because Jesus humbled himself, that he didn't think anything about himself, but he thought of us and he emptied himself out of all of his glory and he became in the form of a man, even a servant. And he was obedient even to death on a cross and then he was resurrected. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, one day, we will all, every last one of us, stand before Jesus and every one of us will confess that Jesus is the Lord and the ruler of all time. Paul says, in the face of that, how are you supposed to think in the church? How can you be conceited? How can you do things out of selfish ambition? How can you do those things when you understand that the King of kings and Lord of lords did that, he said. Now, I will confess, and it is absolutely no surprise to anybody in this room, that more times than not, church people forget that and we don't get it right and we and we fuss and we bicker and we fight and we do all the things that we do all the things that Paul told us not to do here and it's inexcusable that we do that and it's sad and we're sorry and it makes us ashamed and if you're not a if you're not a Christ follower you might wonder why don't we just lock the doors and not come back why put up with all that nonsense? Why not just be done with it for crying out loud? Stupid people keep coming back for more, right? But see, there's, there's something that we know that keeps us coming back. Something incredibly, incredibly important. Chalkboard. Some of you don't recognize it. They didn't have those when you were in school. But many of us did, very, very large chalkboards. Teacher used this, it's a piece of chalk to write on said chalkboard. Now, here's the deal, we're studying on Wednesday nights, Revelation, we're in chapter 21, and we're talking about the final judgment, it's called the white throne judgment, if you wanna go there. And what happens is this, is that everybody who is not a Christ follower at the white throne judgment, 
there's going to be books opened. And in those books is your life. I'm not kidding you. Everything you ever done, everything you ever thought, everything that you'd ever considered is going to be there that day. I'm telling you, that's not a cool thought for me. I got things that I don't want you to know, that I don't want Renee to know, I don't want my mama to know. There are secrets that belong to me that don't belong to you. And you know what I know about y'all? You are the same stinking way. I know that. I know it for a fact. And yet there are books where all of this stuff is written down. And we're going to stand before one day and make an account of all of this stuff. This is the book. This is the book, okay? This is the book. Got it? Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk down. Don't let me feedback. Here's the deal. I'm going to go to each section, and what I want you to do is give me a sin that comes to mind. This is not true confessions. This is not the moment to say, oh, by the way, honey, I'm having an affair, so let's put a fair on the book. That isn't the time for that. This is just simply a good time to, to come up with a sin that, you think about that we would have on that list. So y'all give me one. Just give me one. Steal. I'm sorry? Stealing. 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 Okay. All right. It's on the list. Y'all give me one. I'm sorry? Ill temper. You get two. Okay. Nobody in here has an ill temper. Give me, give me. I'm sorry? Pride. Everybody keeps saying pride because they know that's my sin. Give me a sin. Envy. Oh, that's a good one. I want what you got. That's right. Mm -hmm. I want it. Give me a sin. That's the only thing we like better in the Baptist church than Chick-fil-A is gossip. Here's the book. Book's got everything on it that we've ever done. Now, here's what we know. Here's what we know. What we think, what we say in our minds, is that when I trust Christ as my Savior, that he erases the slate. But see, there's a problem with that. Because if you erase the slate... There's still a slate. And we keep living like he's still taking names. That he's still keeping a list of all these things. But see, here's what we know. Here's what we know that you may not know. no slate when I trust Christ as my savior all of that's gone it's obliterated but listen you may have lived a life that is so horrible you think that never in a billion years could I be made new Never in a billion years could I be forgiven. Never in a million years could I make up for what I've done. Let me help you understand something. You can't make up for what you've done. He emptied himself out. He gave himself up for us to die on a cross 
so that he can make up for what we've done. As far as the east is from the west, book of Psalms says, that's how far our sins are away from him. Can you imagine the freedom that you can live in knowing that? That nobody, nobody is keeping tabs. Oh, Randy was prideful again today. No, what he's saying to me at this point is, Randy, remember, I humbled myself even to the point of death on a cross for you. Come join me. Come be, my, be like me. Live like me. I'll show you glories unknown. That's why we keep coming back to church. That's why we keep coming. Because we know who broke the slate. And we are so grateful, even when we get it wrong. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. I thank you that somebody 2,000 years ago wrote this hymn under the inspiration and, and guidance of you that you, you as much as whispered it in their ears. And Lord, thank you so much for, for taking this old man and helping him to see that something that he had held on to all these years needed to be updated. That Jesus didn't do something for a moment in time. That Jesus did something that lasts for all eternity. That I will meet him face to face. That he will welcome me home. I will recognize him. I will know him because he knows me. And Father, I pray for that person that's in here this morning that, that that's life is burdening them down. Lord, let that silly illustration of, of the broken slate go deeply into their hearts to let them know that you can take every burden away. You will take every burden away if they choose to follow you and give up what they've been trying to do on their own. Father, for those in the church, I pray that this morning we heard so that we could be revived what Jesus did for us in a way that we have not thought about. Cause us to have the mind of Christ that, that we would do nothing for selfish ambition or out of conceit, but out of humility that we would that we would follow the example of our older brother to the best of our ability, always coming back when we fail, knowing that you're going to teach us one more time, one more time, one more time. Please, Father, let your grace wash over this house this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If, you, if you're troubled this morning, that what we've talked about, what we've sung this morning rings true inside of you and you know you need to do something. I invite you that when we sing or after we get through singing, come and talk to me. 
Let's talk about this. Let's talk about who Jesus is to you. The best thing that will ever happen to you is salvation. The best thing that will ever happen for you is to trust Jesus. He takes us places we had no clue we were going to go. And it's better than anything we can imagine. So I invite you to come this morning and, and talk to me about Jesus. If you want to join First Baptist, you can come now. You can come after the service and talk to me. Whatever the Spirit's stirring you to do, but church, church, those of you who are Christ followers, please hang on to the fact that Jesus did more than simply die on that cross like we've talked about a billion times. He emptied himself out forever for you that his humility he thought nothing of him he gave up everything that the person could dream of he gave that up so he could come here and show you who God is so that you would follow him and have life forever y'all remember that y'all remember that If we got that, we're good. Let's stand.